0: I'm the Colin Day versus the Machine. My name is Kyle.
1: Uh, I'm just waiting for my cue. And
2: I'm the machine.
0: This is a podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. Mm. That year just so happens to be 1982. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today we're gonna to be talking about the movie, the thing.
1: Station 31. Can you read me? We found something in the ice. We need some help down here. Can anybody hear me? We found something. We found something. We found something.
0: Of course, a big thank you to our patrons over on Patreon. Their contributions help us continue this show since, you know, the machine doesn't help us pay for these movies. Plus, each month we do a bonus episode over there. This week, though, we have a very special guest. Ooh, Sarah Rowe is here. She has somehow traveled into the year 1982. Sarah, what brings you to the year 1982?
3: Uh, The thing is...
0: Oh. Horror.
3: <laughs> excellent
0: <laughs> <laughs> dave can attest to this like i think the last two episodes i have name dropped your podcast oh really Because well, it's october it's october time with yeah. the spooky season yeah. but maybe you can tell tell us a little bit more about what scream scene is all about
3: for sure so scream scene is a podcast that i do with my husband ben we are watching every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then ranking them best to worst mm-hmm. we are in 1959 we have over 250 episodes I think the last one was like 268 or something wow. uh, so lots of content if someone is just looking to binge watch something
0: perfect time eager to do so absolutely you would have then already talked about the thing from another planet
3: uh no I haven't seen that one but I have seen the thing from another world thing From
0: another world that's what it is <laughs> thing from another world well let's In get into face. our, let's get In into our face, spec script here Dave <laughs> we'll, we'll write this new film
2: that's one spooky scream scene burn.
0: All based, of course, on the same source material, which we'll get to in mm-hmm. this episode here, I'm sure. So, this year in 1959, of the, mo- this is putting you right on the spot, I realize, but of the horror films in 1959 that you have already talked about, is there a, a standout for your favorite film of 1959 so far?
3: The big one that we covered in 1959 is House on Haunted Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, we covered that in episode 258. And like I said, we ranked these. And House on Haunted Hill is ranked number 24. Ooh. Oh, wow. And That's pretty high. And on the list, we have... About uh, 250 movies, so pretty, pretty good showing. That has Vincent Price in it. Very good gothic movie. Very, very good. Uh, we've also had some stinkers, oh. as always.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> me and Dave are, are known to come across a few stinkers here and there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did. I I have conceded. You'll be happy to know that I don't hate horror movies. I hate slasher films. So yeah, oh. this is this is the big yeah. revelation at the yeah. beginning
0: of this and through the last few seasons me and dave have gotten to this argument every year and because dave makes the proclamation i hate horror films I'm like you do not mm. you like movies that are con- are considered horror films and uh, we came to the this point here a couple uh, episodes ago specifically in our friday the 13th part three episode mm. where it Just was garbage yeah horror it was slasher films that dave does not like not horror films in
1: general
3: what is it about slasher movies that you don't like uh dumbness, <laughs> dumbness? Okay. <laughs>
1: We were just saying, because I grew up in the 80s, that the slasher genre is mostly just very young women with no tops and people getting brutally murdered for no reason. Okay. Yeah. And I think it's dumb and a waste of time. <laughs> but then we were kind of like talking about what a horror movie is and then Kyle just through like what I would consider five of the greatest science fiction films of all time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they were gross. I guess that's horror. <laughs> and then we start talking about some other things that are I can't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. But
0: there's a good point, though, Sarah, that you bring up on your podcast quite a bit. Which is actually just defining like what is horror is this even a horror movie that we're Mm. watching because sometimes you decide it's not and then it doesn't go on your list but i know there's also this distinction between is this a science fiction story with like weird things happening or is this actually a horror film so is this just a gut check thing or is there an actual like rubric you have
3: yeah unfortunately sometimes it's a you know it when you see it like also in 1959 we covered a movie called invisible invaders which is a science fiction i guess you could say monster movie definitely alien invasion where an invisible alien and the worst kind you know their colleagues i guess you could say are coming to invade and they are invisible to us so they possess dead bodies excellent uh and so then (laughs) you have phrases like the walking dead are coming to get us. And that hasn't really been a thing up to this point in 1959. So not a horror movie, but definitely a progenitor to some of the like night of the living dead kind of movies. Hmm. Since you don't like slasher movies, you might be interested in a movie that we kind of identified as an early slasher movie, like a proto slasher, but I would say it's not dumb. I would say it's quite good. Um, convert me. 1942's The Mummy's Tomb, which is uh, basically these old archaeologists, they've never tired, they're back in London, and they're like, yeah, we, we had some good stuff, and we've made our fortune off of, like, pl- plundering tombs, yeah. <laughs> uh, and a mummy comes to get them, and it's like their deeds from the past coming to get them. Uh, wow. Definitely a B movie, but it's, you know, proto-slasher, and it's good.
1: Hmm. People will brutally die, but it will be worth it.
3: Well, Brutal in the 1942, in 1942 standards, okay. yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Nothing on screen. <laughs> <laughs> well, Oh, but- quickly, what's number one? What's oh, the reigning uh, champion right now?
3: 1931's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh, interesting. Starring Frederick March. Yeah. Uh, so it's been number one since 1931. Oh,
1: wow. So it's good.
0: It's yeah. very
3: good.
1: All right.
0: This is my own opinion, but you are about to enter in, post-1959, a string of like, well, let me oh, consider yeah. classic films in the early oh, yeah. 60s that are in the horror genre. So the I'm very haunting, interested to see psycho, yeah, like, how the yeah. top 10 starts to it's time. change up. Mm. Where can people find your podcast?
3: They can head to ScreamScenePodcast.com or they can find us on Twitter at underscore ScreamScene.
0: Excellent. We also have our own deep and rich fiction that we're going to forego here because I think we have a huge film that we need to talk to. But I do oh. know that everyone tunes into this this podcast each and every week yeah, to learn more. Yeah, I'm disappointed
2: too. We'll have doubled the plot lines next week.
0: But because it's a big movie, there's a few things I think we should kind of delve into as far as backstory here. Mm-hmm. Now, first off... The Stars a Mr Kurt Russell which I believe this is our first Kurt Russell. It's crazy show, to think about <laughs> that we're covering yeah. here on the podcast. Right? Dream Young Kurt Russell yes is a He's aged very well. Yeah, I'm sorry I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's
1: aged very well. Mm-hmm. You would be hard pressed to age that well.
0: <laughs> well wow. <laughs>
1: Thanks. <laughs> but Sarah, let's start with you. What's
0: your past with Kurt Russell?
3: I believe my first experience of Kurt Russell was uh, a movie he did with Goldie Fawn where she falls off a boat. Uh, Goldie shipwrecked. Oh, overboard. Did I say Goldie Fawn? Yes. Like a deer? Yeah. Goldie Hawn. Like Goldie they Hawn.
1: did too, didn't they? Overboard. Overboard. Yes, yes. Overboard
3: because my mom loves that movie. Yeah. Uh, and it's a good then movie. <laughs> I saw him again in Death Proof. Mm. Uh very good, Kurt Russell movie. Um, seeing him with an eye patch in Escape from New York. He's had a very, very interesting career.
0: Really has he? I feel like he has had this bit of a career resurgence in the last yes. like fifteen years or so. Like
1: because of Death Proof. I think, think so. I, yeah. I think
0: Tarantino was able to do that for so many people. Like, it was also the good one. Second career. But. Terror
1: sucked. Death Proof was the better one mm. of the Grand House. Yes. Do yes, absolutely. Yes, I agree. I think it's the better one.
0: Because
3: yeah. how? Why are you walking on the nozzle of a gun? Like, you're just going to get it full of mud and...
1: Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> all right, let's move on.
0: Uh, Dave, what is your pass with, with oh, Kurt, Russell? Kurt
1: Russell? I love Kurt Russell. So the other reason I was convinced is Kyle started naming John Carpenter movies, and There's, I'm like, oh my God, I, I've loved all of these fucking that's, movies. That's I didn't even other, know who directed them. That's They're the just, other thing. Wow. So, <laughs> I, have
0: to, I have to call Dave out here a little bit, <laughs> because again, he started off last week. Making the bull proclamation, I hate John Carpenter, does bad movies.
1: I'm like, No, no, are you no, no. Sure? I didn't say what? I hate John Carpenter. I, I said You I can roll back the tape if you mm-hmm. like me to mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that
0: episode. Okay. So. Okay. But I always love that of all directors, you didn't know John Carpenter directed them because every single movie says John Carpenter's yeah, but blank. I, I <laughs> Every don't, single time.
1: I don't really watch it. The, well, these are all to be fair, number one, I haven't seen Big Trouble. I've, I've never watched a thing. We'll talk about that. I don't mm-hmm. know how that missed Um Escape from New York. I haven't watched these movies in the last 20 years. <laughs> so when I'm at uh, 20, I'm just watching the movie. It's mm. why uh, there's a lot of auteur films that I just didn't like, we just, what was I just watching? We just watched a collateral. And when <laughs> it opened up I was like, Michael Oh Man. yeah, of course it's a Michael Mann movie, but I, didn't know that at the time i owned the blu-ray i've watched it <laughs> you know several times but it didn't register to me because well, i wasn't you, following you also still do it time.
0: today because we because we when we watched friday the 13th right the, the bad movie that we watched a couple weeks ago and it's one of the ones that we we're with the 3d resurgence was happening in the 80s and i remember you texting me i was like is this in, supposed to be in 3d i'm like yeah you didn't notice by the tells it said 3d supervisor <laughs> like it's very bold in front of
1: they said that the beginning?
0: In the credits, it does, yeah. No, so. I don't pay attention. I like that you just don't pay attention to the credits at all. It like, just what?
3: glazes over yeah, What's it happening it behind happen. the credits? Like, what's, <laughs> what are the
0: scenes that are I happening here? I just
1: let things, let <laughs> we'll things move over. across, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Anyway, sorry, to interrupt you, what, what's your history with Kurt Russell?
1: Yeah, so Kurt Russell's great. Big Trouble in Little China, but the other thing that I really loved, which is a Val Kilmer, Kilmer thing, is Tombstone. Tombstone. Tombstone was one mm-hmm. of my favorite VHS taped movies off TV. For me, Kurt Russell being a cowboy was a, was a big thing because he, he is white herp. I don't know. He for me.
0: just has the face for a cowboy. He's, he's I don't just know how to put it. It's like he looks right as a, with a cowboy oh, hat on. Yeah. Some very American.
1: Don't. We'll talk about his politics, but he is well, very American. We don't need American to. Yeah. <laughs> um, Death Proof. There was something else in between. Backdraft. I think everything he's in, he's got so much charisma. Mm-hmm. True mm-hmm. Hollywood uh, American guy. Yeah, it was very underappreciated, I think, on a critical sense, but he's actually a pretty good actor.
0: Yeah, that's the thing that that I was gonna call out was how he's had such longevity, Mm -hmm. but has never really been like a box office draw. No, he's he's a
3: character actor. Exactly.
0: He's been the lead in a few movies, but really he's a character actor who does such a good job of just coming in and like knocking it out of the park, sort of thing, right? Yeah. I was, of course, first introduced to Kurt Russell because my brother was such a John Carpenter fan. So I saw Escape from New York at a very early age, mm, probably earlier than I should age. have <laughs> okay. been seen Escape from New York. So that was my first introduction to Kurt Russell and then you know see him off and on he's in the uh, uh vanilla sky yeah. movie with the that's
3: right he is he,
0: very bit part that he's in there i'm i think guardians. i'm one of four people who actually likes that movie but uh, regardless
1: he was good in guardians 2 Guardians yeah, of the galaxy right. 2 so yeah shows up you know? as, as a, a, as, a throwback. as a god whatever
0: mm-hmm. and where's goldie hahn that's what i want to ask she should make a comeback she too. was
1: in something but it didn't turn out did you watch Bone tomahawk is it good I it's, still haven't seen I mean, it. Actually, haven't really seen.
0: Enough, I'm actually, really enough, going to be watching it very soon because it's on my October watch uh, list that I'm going to be he watching. He made this
1: like very violent western mm-hmm. oh. and it's like pretty applaud. It was on Netflix for a bit but nobody in my house will watch it with me because it's supposed to be like graphically yeah, violent. So. That's
0: another one of those movies that it kind of splits people on whether they consider it a horror or not. Yeah. So mm-hmm. anyway, I'm, I'm going to watch it and see I really want to watch it. But, but uh, it's very bloody as far as. It's not Netflix
1: anymore. It. I think you have to pay for it which I'm not going to.
2: You're the reason that mid-budget films are failing.
0: John Carpenter. John Carpenter is a huge name. Mm-hmm. And I would say just American cinema in general has done a bunch of horror films as well. That wasn't uh, specifically all that he did. But Sarah, what's your relationship with John Carpenter?
3: I have seen quite a few of his movies, but I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this. I don't always like think of what John Carpenter's movies are. Mm. But I know he his style of movie is always something that I really enjoy. The people who do movies that are homages or inspired by his aesthetic, I always really like. And of course, his music.
0: Yeah, I I, I talked about this last week as he scored Halloween 3, even though he was not directing that one. Uh, I think he's a bit of an underappreciated composer. I yeah. think he does some really great job, just that kind of ethereal synthy stuff that he likes to play around with. We'll also talk about how he's uncredited as doing a bunch of this score, too. But
3: uh, <laughs> yeah, well, what I saw is that like Ennio Morricone does the music of the yes. thing but it's kind of like him doing John Carpenter's music. It's weird. It's wild. It's really weird
0: how they did the music for this movie. John Carpenter has a very classic style. Like He is very much influenced by old Hollywood, so that's how his shots are. That's how he composes his shots and thinks about them. He's a huge Howard Hawks fan. So if you watch any Howard Hawks movie, it's like, John Carpenter, John Carpenter. You can see his influences basically being picked from there. He loved Westerns also, by the way. He never actually made like a true out-and-out Western himself, mostly because he said he would, didn't want to deal with horses. That was his quote. That's fair. Uh, but a lot of his movies are con- sometimes considered neo-Westerns, which is like, it's a Western in name, but is like Big Trouble mm. in a Little China, yeah. change the big rigs to horses, it's a Western movie. He mm. rides into town, gets stuck, like the whole thing is structured in, in that way. Now that you know who John Carpenter is, Dave, what do you think about him?
1: Yeah, good. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't know.
3: Cool, we don't have to cancel you, this is good. <laughs>
1: I don't know. Uh, yeah. I like apparently like his music uh, mm-hmm. movies. And then we we're watching Halloween three, which is hilarious as a film, but the yeah. music's good in it. Yeah. I don't know much about him as a person, but I did a brief scan on Wikipedia and it does seem like he alienated the industry a little bit or they in- alienated him. It just didn't work out after the nineties. Nobody's watching his films. So,
0: well, this is, this is kind of the one Dispreed big thing it. that is very instructive about this movie. This is kind of the start of John Carpenter falling into this weird rut, where a movie comes out that he makes, no one really cares for it at the time, and then it generates a huge amount of fan interest about a decade later, and is then considered posthumously. This is one of the best movies of blank year, or this is mm-hmm. one of the best examples of this type of movie. People weren't but ready he for. Wasn't it wasn't really getting that at the
1: time. Yeah, I, I didn't know this, but Big Trouble is also flopped flop. Yes, I think. Flop. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which is crazy to think about because mm-hmm. it's so good.
0: Because I. Listen to this other podcast called Blank Check, where they pick a director, and then watch their entire filmography. Right. I get to make the big nerdy claim. I get to push up my glasses and say, I've actually seen every John Carpenter movie, even his made for TV stuff. <laughs> Apparently, Elvis is good. It's not. Mm. But uh, Kurt Russell got that's <laughs> where he and Kurt Russell met. Yeah. Was Didn't he get nominated
1: for an Emmy yeah. or something?
0: We did. Mm. It's not a good movie, though. All right. But this is also, I should just point out. It's my prejudice against biopics. I normally really don't like them.
1: We went against the grain with Gandhi, so people know. If they listen to this podcast.
0: My personal feeling is this. It's not like a new or unique opinion, really, at the end of the day. The 80s are really his time period into the early 90s. You do see a big drop off, I think, in the mid-90s, except for this kind of one sole exception. In my opinion, John Carpenter is not that good at directing actors he's great if the actors are good already and they can do their own thing but when he's tasked to actually try and get a performance out of someone he's not the best at it he's good at composing shots and moments and thinking about Mm. them like visually and i think that's really what hampers him later on in his career is that he's picking actors that are not necessarily up to the task of uh, pushing it forward you you can see this like he Brings out Halloween in 78, which is like inspires this resurgence of the slasher genre in America. The Fog, Escape from New York, The Thing, Christine, Starman, Big Trouble in Little China, Prince of Darkness, They Live. That's kind of this huge run of films that uh, modern critics will say like it's pretty good run of films, which are either like good to great, depending on your your opinion. Then does some stuff that nobody's talked about (laughs) since they came out. The one I will go to bat for. Have either of you even heard of the movie In the Mouth of Madness? No. No. I think it's 94, 94, 95. I feel this is the last great film, which is literally eldritch horror. Like, it is him doing H.P. Lovecraft, and it is bonkers weird. <laughs> but it's uh, Sam Neill, I think, is in that movie. So oh, it's, okay. So yeah, it's Sam
3: Neill's really good in horror. Yeah. Uh, Event
1: Horizon ruined me. It ruined me. I was frightened. I, I remember... 'Cause you know, I thought of him as a paleontologist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then my friend came to visit me. I was living in this little shack in Hamilton and we rented this fucking movie. <laughs> and by the end, we were like holding each other on a couch, and I'm like, oh my God, Sam Neill is the devil, and I never want to see his fucking <laughs> scary face. And I just couldn't I couldn't disassociate him from that performance. So Fair enough. That's an L. Ron Hubbard story, isn't it? Event Horizon? Uh could be.
3: No, I, I don't think it's adapting that. I think it's uh just a haunted house in space. Oh, movie. okay.
0: Elrond was going to make another appearance in this episode though. So stay tuned <laughs> to that. <laughs> interestingly enough,
3: Elrond and Elon are my two favorite people of all time. And actually to your point about Eldritch horror, you can see some of like that Eldritch horror, yes. H.P. Lovecraft stuff in, in this movie, uh, the thing, movie creature, <laughs> the thing.
0: His last movie was in 2012. I want to say, or 2010, somewhere around that, the ward, which is also not great. It's not as bad as I think some people say, but it's, also not all that good. Uh, and he's basically retired since then. He does some music here and there, but he's really not interested in directing a film. Although there's always rumors every year that something is mm-hmm. sparking his interest, but he kind of just wants to sit at home, play video games and get high. That's basically yeah. his life now. So Just
3: put out his hand and more money from Halloween keeps coming well, yeah, in.
0: If they keep making Halloween movies, he basically gets to go, yep, give it to me. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and keep making your movies. Sarah, you've seen this movie before, correct? Yes. Correct. Uh, when was the first time you saw it?
3: Oh gosh, I don't even know. Cause strangely enough, sometimes this movie feels like a comfort movie to me. Mm. I don't know why. I just I really enjoy this movie. Uh so I've seen it many, many times. Yeah,
0: I'm trying to think about how many this has to be fourth or fifth time for sure that I've sat down and watched this movie. I like it more every time I watch it. I can mm-hmm. say that. There's just new things that kind of pop out for me. This is basically gonna be my overriding thesis. I will just kind of spoil it right now. I think the biggest thing for me is that if you've seen Alien before you watch this movie, it feels very Alien, like, except Mm -hmm. you're in Antarctica, except rather than out on a spaceship. There's some slightly different things.
3: I would disagree, but that's okay. The
0: plot feels somewhat similar to Alien. I um, got that vibe. But both still great for me.
1: Who's it? The guy that wrote... Shit. There's a whole thing about why they're not actually related, and it's only borrowed sort of, like, one aspect of the Alien story and just brought it in, which is things bursting out of stuff. Yeah,
0: I did get a little bit of that vibe at the beginning. Uh, what have you heard about The Thing, Dave? You've never seen this movie. i never watched the movie.
1: Um, interestingly, because it's in the cultural paradigm, I know of the poster. I know Kurt mm-hmm. Russell's in it and I know it's uh, going to be gross. Um, but I've never actually sat down and watched it. Why? What, what was preventing you from doing it? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> He's a busy
3: guy, no, Kyle. Tell me right now.
1: Well, uh, we started this podcast and it took you two years to watch Seven Samurai. It's true. So. Oh
3: my God, Kyle.
0: <laughs> I don't have four hours to sit down yeah, and watch you'll something. you'll watch every fucking
3: John Carpenter And film. you have like 10 hours to watch War and Peace. <laughs> have I you did.
1: seen your fucking letterbox, dude? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, shit that you watch it on was, a daily basis. It, it was fundamental
0: that I watched The Secret of Nim 2, Dave, <laughs> okay? I needed to see that movie. Oh my God. We'll go and take a break. I've left out some uh, accoutrements of, of snacks here for you, Sarah. Uh, we're so in a swamp. Don't eat it. Yeah, I, I oh. don't know how healthy those actually are. But Dave and I will have to go thank some sponsors. <laughs> and then when we return, we'll be talking about The Thing, the movie.
1: Wow. It's just, you're making it a thing.
0: <laughs> no, it's The Thing, Dave. It's not thing. <laughs> <laughs> Was it weird to you that Wilfred Brimley didn't have a mustache in this movie? I don't even know who that is. Oh, give yeah. me a break. What are he you was talking Blair.
3: about? <laughs> oh, my oh, my God.
0: He's the diabetes guy. The guy from Cocoon. <laughs> He's in this movie. What are you talking about, Dave? You're going to make me have a heart attack. Anyways, how how would you feel if you were in that situation? I
1: can't grow a mustache. Mm. I mean, that's... Not,
0: not, not that situation. Oh, You're yeah, in yeah. the situation of the movie, The Thing. Right, right. How quick are you to be blasting people? Do you just go blasting right oh, away? Oh, I would or? just die.
1: Yeah, I would just lay down and die. I would <laughs> absor- I would just go to the dog and I would just ask it to Take consume me. me. Yeah. So they seem our to have a lot of su- fun before they blew up, right? They're just walking around, having a good time.
0: Get to play some chess on the on the computer. It seems, it seems like a great time. Listen, Kyle and Dave versus Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. And this episode is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, Awesome service and profit sharing with local charities. I can talk to this now because I just literally this week switched over to them because I was being hosed by my other by my other provider.
1: Uh, can you name them? Mm,
0: I don't know if that actually opens <laughs> up to legal uh countersuits, so I'm not going to.
1: Was it Enbridge?
0: So if you're in somewhere else in Canada, this might sound weird, but in other provinces, you don't get to choose. You have to buy it from a specific thing, uh, entity. So if you choose Park Power, you are choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kazowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network. You know, it's a great fit, Dave. You can learn more at parkpower.ca.
1: Definitely Enbridge. Our second ad sponsor person, Group Group, Alberta Blue Cross Group.
0: They're they're loving this. They're loving it. I keep wondering (laughs) how long
1: before we get fired, someone's actually gonna listen to one of these one day and they're just gonna be like, no.
0: "Uh, No, we're not paying you (laughs) the $25. David.
1: Kyle, even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, you are calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of alberta blue cross your employees can manage their own health dental life and disability coverage online anytime on any device flip phone (laughs) probably not
0: i have this tamagotchi does it work (laughs) on that
1: (laughs) that would be amazing (laughs) just gotta feed it enough make it easy for them and for you to learn more and explore your options head to ab.bluecross.ca
0: all right. Well, we've sat down. We, Sarah and I, have rewatched this movie. Dave, mm-hmm. you've now yeah. watched this for the very first time. But we need to do a scenario before we get into talking about what yeah, our shit. feelings are, are on this movie. Right. So I'm going to throw to you. Let's say that we've decided to go on an Antarctic expedition,
1: and so would we've that, yeah.
0: landed by boat. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. And we see the penguins over on the right-hand side. And then this Norwegian runs at us. like Just full tilt, having a VHS copy of the thing in his right hand. And he asks us, can you speak Norwegian?
1: No, of course not.
0: He's he Swedish just his way. And please is give like, us
1: a sample, yes? <laughs> borka, borka,
0: borka. Uh, <laughs> That's and he's like, so offensive. And basically, <laughs> the subtitles now. that show up ask, like, what's the thing about the movie?
3: I got lost in your scenario. The question is, what is the what's thing about? What's the thing about? about? Yeah. The thing is about... Do you want the thematic answer or do you want the, uh, the plot answer? answer,
1: the he, plot wants, answer. Yeah, he wants, uh, right. he wants um, you to pretend you're talking to a small
3: child. <laughs> okay, so let me turn to face Dave. <laughs> <laughs> That's a second scream scene burn. The Thing is a movie about an Antarctica-based research group who come across a alien from another world that is parasitic and can mimic... Any living creature that it comes in contact with, in order to mimic it, it kills that creature. Um, So it starts this concern about paranoia and spreading of uh, this thing into the many different people at this research place. And then also the fear of what if it gets into a larger population. Uh, And ultimately, um, in trying to defeat this alien, uh, they end up defeating themselves.
0: I love it. That's so good. Dave should take pointers on how to come up with these scenarios. I'm
1: waiting for the translation in Norwegian. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh,
0: and on this rewatch, Sarah, what were your thoughts?
3: So this is the first time I've watched it since COVID. Oh. So things definitely hit different. Mm-hmm. Um, with that feeling of paranoia and people like you're feeling like you can't really trust people because of their particular opinions about masking.
1: Vaccine status is not a human right. Can we put that in there or is that too political? Yeah.
3: ooh. Can we can we go after Daniel Smith? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: let's, let's go after this local politician. No one's going to know who we're talking about.
3: <laughs> I really enjoyed this movie again. I think you're on the money when you say that John Carpenter likes to compose shots because I was struck again and again with this movie about how well composed some shots are, the way that it follows the mm-hmm. dog. And you know exactly that something's up with this dog it's not just a dog and they're just communicating that visually
0: not to interrupt too much here but it's like after having watched a bunch of his movies mm-hmm. i probably could count like once or twice literally in his entire career where i'm like hmm, why would you place the camera there he always kind of has it exactly in the right spot for maximum effect where some other directors i watch i'm like this why, why are we staging it like this? This is making it mm-hmm. confusing. Like what's going on? And he's always like, no, I need to make sure you understand visually how this is all working together.
3: Yeah. I remember the very first time that I watched this, I don't remember when that was, but I remember being confused by the way that each scene was cut to the other where it had like the dissolve to black and mm-hmm. then back out or whatever. It absolutely c- helps create that feeling of like, You're stuck in this building and you don't know what day it is, Yeah, which I think we are all familiar with after COVID as well. So yeah, again, a very good movie. Very much enjoyed it. Nothing in particular stood out to me uh, besides the usual things of it's really good.
0: (laughs) Dave, this is your first time. So I'm so curious. What did you think about it? What do you think about this movie? The Thing?
1: Yeah, it it was awesome. It was very good. I... I didn't know what, I knew what to expect in one sense, but I didn't know what to expect in another. And to your point, sir, like, yeah. When it starts off with a helicopter, my first thought was like, that's not a wolf. Why is he trying to fucking mm-hmm. shoot this thing? And of course I, it wasn't. Honestly,
0: like, I'm <laughs> exactly the same way. I even remember watching this movie and how well it kind of brings you into the oh, narrative. It's like, why are they shooting this dog? Yeah.
1: What's going on? It's so crazy. And then when the Norwegian, uh, presumably scientist, Leaps off this helicopter and he's just lost his fucking mind. You're like, okay, we're in for a ride because this just got really weird. He just got shot in the eye and now something's wrong. And then, to your point, sir, when we're suddenly fi- uh, following this dog, and you're like, okay, this is going to even weirder than I thought. Because uh, John Carpenter's like, don't watch what these bozos are doing in the rec room. Uh, mm-hmm. The shit's about to get real. I got to say, though, um, I wasn't expecting to be so visceral. I should have. That first explosion of flesh and the dog's face and mm-hmm. i was i actually like crawled up in a ball on my couch and i was just like what the fuck is going on yeah and uh it was fun there's some things that are so 80s like Why are we entrusting our uh, militarization to an alcoholic pilot of a helicopter? I mean, he's handsome. He's a man, Dave. (laughs) He's handsome. Have you (laughs) seen (laughs) Kurt (laughs) Russell? That that little scene where they're just like, well, he can't be in charge. Well, we got to go to Kurt. He's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'll fucking do it. It's shot so cleanly and beautifully. It really keeps you into it. I really enjoyed watching this movie.
0: Yeah, like even this is my big soapbox moment. Even in the night scenes, you know what I could do in the night scenes? See what the fuck was going on, right? It's like it's such a frustrating thing in modern movies for me. Uh, I know I say it all the time. It's like, why can I not see what's happening nobody on the light
1: night anymore? That's the problem. Yeah, you think with all the fancy gadgets you could expose correctly, but it's
3: yeah. because, uh, particularly if they're shooting on green screen, uh, it's really hard to do night and mm-hmm. green screen without the actors looking superimposed on something. So right. if you make it muddy, like you really see it in, um, I saw a really good takedown on uh, the Disney Cruella movie oh, right. that they did where they kind of broke down like here's why everything looks muddy and awful so that's that's that
0: they meant for it to be that way which oh. makes it even worse to me yeah but- because you it's re- cheap yeah yeah
1: I, that's uh, why helen gets upset at me because i'm i'm just i can't keep my mouth shut but we're watching a movie together i just feel like green screen and she's like can you shut up and i'm like i'm just saying it looks fake like it's just a really stupid place to do it you can shoot a scene in a room like, mm-hmm. you don't have to pay extra for that. Red Notice. Well, it might be the but,
3: case of, like, the actors not wanting to be in the same room I with think the so. schedules.
1: Well, the worst one was Red Notice. That movie mm-hmm. was fucking terrible. I shouldn't have oh, free. The movie I mean, where free. I can
0: guarantee that those actors were never in the same room as each other? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's like, oh my God. Yeah, did
1: you hear about She-Hulk's series finale? I read about it. They wrote the meta thing where she comes out of the program goes to the marvel studios and then confronts the writers why is our show so bad oh
3: that's hilarious yeah so they're trying to
1: tie it back
3: that's been uh she hulks deal since the comics of breaking the fourth wall Uh, so that's like that's part of the character
1: because yeah yeah, i I got through two episodes and i was like i don't know i just can't unfortunately
0: marvel has kind of beaten me down so i have given up on all of their TV shows. So I'm so far behind on that (laughs) stuff. Before I jump into some of the things that came to mind on this rewatch, there was a very recent interview with John Carpenter. As we record this, I mean, it was like two days ago. Oh. (laughs) With the AV Club, the new AV Club, because they fired all their writers, unfortunately. But anyways, the new AV Club was interviewing (laughs) John Carpenter. And this is just a small snippet. So the interviewer asks, are you familiar with the phrase elevated horror? And John Carpenter responds, I don't know what that means. I mean, I can guess what it means, but I don't really know. And they respond, people usually use it to refer to A24's movies, horror that's very heavy on the metaphorical, hereditary, midsummer movies like that. John Carpenter's response, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Perfect. Um, And the river says, fair enough. And then uh, John Carpenter interrupts him, but I hear you. I hear you. There's metaphorical horror, but all movies have that. They don't have messages. They have themes, thematic material. And some horror films have thematic material. At least the good ones do. And I think that that's what makes this movie stand out. How I read that quote personally is that I... And I think where I butt up with any movie is that if I know what, like, this is the message we're trying to give to you and it's kind of heavy-handed, but I'm like, okay, I get it. And I kind of push back against it. But I think the great movies have themes that they're exploring. And whether or not they ever resolve those themes, Mm -hmm. it makes it more of an interesting conversation to have. This movie has so many different readings that you can read online about how to interpret what is going on. And I think the reason why there is, is because it does uh, the theme building, the themes of this movie so well. So, I mean, sorry, you brought up COVID and it's like, Mm -hmm. of course you can read that into that. But there are readings from even in the 80s at the time, like... This is an AIDS allegory mm-hmm. about being afraid of like who's gonna be the next person that's gonna be infected. There are just straight up gay readings of this movie about how it feels like you can't actually show your own self. And if you do, then you're taken down same with the trans narrative that you can kind of read this movie with or you can do the simple one and i think the 1950s film leans way more into this idea of the cold war which was still going on in the 80s as well which is like who's the who's the real enemy who's the real threat and you can have all those different readings because it allows itself to be read in any way that it wants to because it's interested in like character and ideas and not necessarily giving you all the answers because that's not as interesting as being let's make a thematically interesting movie rather than like, this is the message and this is the only one way to read this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so on this rewatch, I had the same thought as you actually, Sarah, is like, oh man, this is really interesting watching this in like a COVID world. I had thought actually... And I cannot verify this, so I'm going to say that I must have made this up or I misunderstood someone. I thought John Carpenter himself had come out and said that this was straight up an AIDS allegory. But I have no evidence to suggest that, that he actually said that.
3: I don't think that's the case either for him saying that, though feel free to correct me, yeah. internet folks. But also, my understanding at least with like the pre-production of this movie coming in, because it started in like the mid to 70s, late 70s, yeah. uh, and AIDS didn't really start to hit mainstream uh news and everything until the 80s. Yeah. So, it was really late
0: 1982 that you really see, see that coming off. Yeah, um, so I
3: think it's like a coincidental. I don't think it's purposeful, but right. I think that there's absolutely a reading that you can do.
0: I will say, one of John Carpenter's other favorite targets is Ronald Reagan. He hated his guts oh, so, good. So, so much. Oh, Fuck. Uh, which, if you watch the movie They Live, it's very obvious how much he hates Ronald Reagan. Because <laughs> I do know that John Carpenter has stated up front that like he had a hard time through the 80s because so many of his friends were dying around him. Mm-hmm. So he had that reaction but i i, I kind of understand that reading of this movie yes it wasn't i don't think initially made for that it technically couldn't have been but it, it obviously is there and can be read as such and can be seen as meaningful as such so uh this is all to me to say i think there's a lot of themes you can draw from this movie but i don't know dave do you uh do you agree or, or disagree
1: i don't know i i feel like listening to you whenever you go on this or this i suspect the idea of Reading themes is projecting something onto a movie you've watched more than once. Mm -hmm. Because, like, the first time you watch a film, I don't, anyways, want to be in a big, deep philosophical mindset unless the movie pushes me there. And some movies absolutely intentionally do that, particularly for films like this. I think what makes something like this more transcendent, perhaps, or like culturally impactful. Is that whether he intended to or not, the script writer, the director, the actors, it is so open-ended that mm-hmm. you can layer your own personal experiences onto it, even though it's like literally people blowing up and fucking aliens and gross tentacles and shit. And that's the beauty of this movie that I, I thought when I was watching it, but I didn't sit there watching it wondering how it was going to uh, reflect my personal trauma. I didn't really <laughs> give a shit. I, just, I was just curled up on a couch waiting for the next person to peel off their skin and turn into a you know tentacle monster and i was like okay no I, I, I think, I, and i do think that's
0: fair i think that there is obviously you have to almost do it that way the first impression of a, of a work of art is always going to be like okay how am i reacting to this in the moment i also come with an english degree in hand so i i'm used to doing Same. all those readings yeah
3: you're outnumbered here Nerts. so so i, so I, I, I have a
1: say, philosophy degree who gives a shit it doesn't
3: <laughs> that's what you took from your degree yeah I mean, fair. Absolutely.
0: Even I will usually just have a movie be something I'm reacting to the first time. But then I always have to turn it over in my mind. like, What could that mean? Or why would they do it this way? Or how does that Mm. interact with this thing sort of thing? So anyways, it's it's my thing that I like to do. I like to go into it. And then I can read online and I think, nope, I don't agree with this person (laughs) with their readings. But I do agree with this person over here.
3: Absolutely. Dave, I think you make a good point that like yeah, the movie is just occurring and and such. And some people when they watch a movie, like my husband Ben, like he is like ready to talk about the themes immediately after. And I need like an hour right. at least to kind of break things down in my brain. like my one one frustrating thing with the thing is that it can be transplanted onto these different. Readings because Kyle, you had mentioned to me that there is this trans reading of the movie,
0: which is much more recent. It's like within the last few years, I've seen a lot of people come out with that. I tried
3: to read up on like what that reading is, and I couldn't find anything online. And so, when watching it, I was like, okay, let's see if that's here. And the only thing I could glean from the movie was reading The Alien as like because it tries to imitate. That being like, oh, that's the transgender agenda. Mm. And I felt very uncomfortable with putting that reading on this movie because our goal is to kill that alien. And so therefore that makes, if this is that reading, that makes this movie a turf movie uh, right, and trans-exclusionary. Right. And I both am against that. But also putting a reading onto a movie that makes it biased against a group of people when that is not the person's actual perspective like i mean i don't know john carpenter but when he was making this movie i don't think he was thinking like yeah i'm a turf and i'm going to make right. this no, movie no. um so that makes me uncomfortable about like basically putting words in someone's mouth like that
0: yeah for sure uh this I um, someone
1: wrote it or did you just have this dream and this, now this you're just like a yeah.
0: dream and stuff
1: like that <laughs> <laughs> fucking ridiculous
3: it's funny that you're bringing <laughs> this up because i was thinking about masculinity yes. and rather how if the men in this movie Had been vulnerable with each other. Thank you. This is exactly yes. Like we're scared, or no, really, I'm not, and truly believing each other, and building that sense of like, well, like a better word, like attachment to each other. Their force would have been strong enough to overtake the alien without um, them. All dying and destroying themselves because at the end, you know, particularly with Mac and Childs both being like suspicious of each other, there's that intense detachment from each other as well. So I don't know if that kind of lines up with what you were reading about trans. It, yes,
0: it is. But as I am not a member of that community, I don't feel super comfortable speaking for for that point of view from a half up. remembered yeah. article <laughs> that uh, that I remember. It's just
1: about empathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, that's what why I think it's so interesting thinking about this movie versus the 51 version, which like my understanding, at least with John Carpenter, he is a huge fan of Howard Hawks. Yeah. He was like, let's adapt the story, not try to redo the movie.
0: Yes, I have a I have a big thought on this. Ah,
3: cool. OK, so we have these two movies that are coming at this idea of paranoia and you can have this Cold War perspective or reading of it. And in the 1951, the thing from another world, spoiler alert, but it's a military base and the guys come together and they work really well together. And, you know, the hierarchy of like, yes, boss and and getting stuff done holds strong against this invader versus in this post-Vietnam, very nihilistic Uh kind of world in 82 where the leader of this base who has the like pistol on his side he almost comes off as the least capital M masculine trademark character in the movie who told you about my copyright there's no sense of like community between these guys they're all so individualistic and so set in like this is how I am being a man and trying to live up to that ideal of masculinity and that's why the movie the protagonist rallies behind McCready Kurt Russell because he is shown to be like this is the masculine ideal protagonist here and he, that's fucked up he's mm-hmm. like an alcoholic pilot <laughs> like why are they following him why do they keep going to him well because he's the one who says do this do that he's the John Wayne of Antarctica
1: true enough but Back, I will say like- politics yeah keep going. Uh, I was gonna say
0: <laughs> any crisis that's what they tell you to do too though right it's like if something really hits the fan it's like you have to be like you call this person you stand here you stop the blood like Mm -hmm. or else if it's too much of a crowd people freeze and no one does anything but they also
3: don't have loyalty to him true enough and there's that vulnerability that these guys are missing
0: yeah i love looking at this as a comparison between the two Mm because the biggest thought i had this time is they're both adaptions of the same thing and technically like this it's the same basic plot that happens through both of these movies. But it's such an interesting way to do a remake. We could just do the exact same thing that this movie did. but instead, let's kind of just go off mm-hmm. and kind of do our own thing because it also strays a little bit from what the fifty one movie does because the fifty one movie starts with them finding a the spaceship and then bringing it aboard. All that stuff is alluded to as have happening before in the Norwegian base station. So it's almost like that fifty one movie. Prequel to this movie. We're going to do our own (laughs) thing and continue the story on. Mm -hmm. And if this, like, uh, rumored new remake that they're doing for the thing. I kind of hope they do something similar, which is like, that was that movie. We're doing our own thing. and almost is setting up as like the crew from the spring comes in and it's didn't like, it's already, just a new movie.
1: Didn't there already make, isn't that what the remake was? No.
0: So it was a prequel. Yeah. So it was the Norwegian station. Yeah. That was what that movie oh, was. Oh, that's not what
1: you're talking about. Okay. Yeah.
0: That's what that was in 2011. I or didn't watch like it that.
1: obviously, but
0: I, I did. And I, I cannot not remember a thing from it. Can you, can
3: <laughs> Sign of a great movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, I saw that in theaters and remembered nothing <laughs> about it.
1: That means Kyle gave it a 2.5. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 3.5 whatever it's fine
3: <laughs> i will point out that the 51 movie does you know capture that idealized masculinity mm-hmm. that you see in like the military man um and definitely likes coming together against the communist threat of the cold war the movie ends with the phrase look to the skies and be vigilant yeah. um but the feeling of like but we're in this together rather than we're in this individually
0: yeah that's a big thing i i I have seen that original movie, but it's been a couple of years now. so And it's not super fresh, but I remember really enjoying it. Like, I really, really liked it's that movie. It's pretty good. Yeah.
3: The monster in it is not as good as what is in no. as what is in the 82, but it's still good.
0: All I can remember is that there's this one scene where someone throws like a lantern at the thing and the whole thing was lights up on fire. I'm like, well, that actually is fire. <laughs> yeah. Family, and there's like, hopefully no one burned to death because <laughs> that looked really, really bad.
3: They yeah, probably just put runs, an animal
1: in there and they were fine.
3: <laughs> when he's fully in flame, he runs through a wall. And then there's also an homage to that scene in the 82 mm-hmm. when ah. uh, the guy's fully in flame.
1: Right, right.
0: Runs. Because this movie has been so discussed online and for like the last 40 years in nerd circles, at least, I feel like we should do two big things that always come up. Number one is the ending itself, which is like there has been like almost whole books written about like, well, is there one of them the thing, or both of them the thing, or neither of them the thing. And have people all have their interpretations. So I say, let's just go around the table. Mm. What do you think? Sarah, do you think either,
1: (laughs) both, none?
3: I think they are both men. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, they both die.
1: Dave? Uh, I don't know. Um, Yeah, I I mean, I I guess in principle, I think the ending was the most disappointing part for Mm. me.
0: Because it doesn't resolve? Or was there a different
1: element? I I think my thought was at the moment, they've spent so much energy burning everything to kill the thing and there's two people left they're willing to die why don't they just both jump into the fire Mm. like what what are they doing they're standing there watching each other in the cold it's weird it just struck me as kind of like it's i know it's trying to be intentionally aloof and kind of and leave an open it's interpretation. The, it's also
0: the Western thing that John Carpenter likes. He likes the two lone people as a standoff to. End but the movie. usually with
1: a Western, either one person walks away or, or the standoff is a shootout or right. something um, conclusive. This one, they're just kind of staring at each other and and it fades to black. So that second question or a second thought of, you know, is the thing still alive? I, I just didn't care that much. Well,
0: the-
3: <laughs> oh, really? Okay.
0: <laughs> ultimately, I think it. In my position is that ultimately it doesn't matter like Mm -hmm. i feel like people over read this so much to be like okay but it's is that really the point of the movie is like that final two seconds i personally think yes uh keith david is a part of the thing i really do think that he is uh, the creature i like
1: that kyle goes i don't think it should matter but i have got an opinion because it matters why
3: why do you think that
1: (laughs) you just just don't like his demeanor because he looked uh, wooden. honestly
0: here's the thing and he appeared unknown
1: yeah he just kind of looked like robotic when he appears right
0: he looks robotic. And That's again, sort of I know I've read all the things. I know this is because there was a problem with filming, but there's actually no steam coming from his mouth when he talks. And there is for, from Kurt Russell. Oh, for fuck's sake. So is it's that- like. That's, yeah, but that's there's the steam we'll coming with.
3: from the other things when they go I outside. Know, I saying,
0: like it's, it, it, it's, it showed it, it, that scene with Keith David. But by the way, Keith David has like the best voice. Yeah, in, he's great. The yeah, he world. plays
3: Spawn yeah. in the uh, television show. Ah, oh, and, it's great. And Goliath cool.
0: from Gargoyles. Yeah, people remember that show. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good show.
1: It was a good show.
0: But ultimately, I don't think it matters because both of them are going to die anyways. There's, mm. Well, I just, it
1: does matter. I guess people get upset because you can only actually kill the thing with fire because they're going to die yeah. from hypothermia.
3: And the thing wants to freeze, because right. then it will be found again. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why there's kind of that standoff. The tension. Yeah.
1: yeah, And that's why I guess at the end I was like, what's what the line? Like, oh, we're both too tired to give a shit anyways, right. well, or yes. whatever it is, right? Yeah. So I was like,
0: ah. I've been awake
3: for 48 hours. <laughs> After 48 hours, I don't give a f- Well, at that point, you just walk into
1: the fire. I'm not even convinced <laughs> that the fire in an Antarctic space would be enough sure. to burn off cells. I mean- I, that thing's going to go out pretty quickly because it's fucking cold there. <laughs>
0: sure. Yeah. I do agree partly with you, Dave. There's a one element of the ending that's always sort of like just not worked for me. So it's not the stand at the end. It actually does. I'm, I'm totally fine with that. It's the actual way that will stand up underground works oh, yeah. it just feels so anticlimactic to me like you've built <laughs> up and up and up and it's just basically okay i guess that's, that's... Just throw a bomb and we're, we're done here i know i wanted something a little bit more momentous i feel to
3: but isn't that kind of, that of core to a nihilistic movie
0: True enough. Because there, there is that shot, too, of Wilford Brimman, like, this shoving his hand into the guy's face, like, oh, God. Yeah. Which is a lead up to the other big thing that I think we should talk about, which is the special effects of this movie. Like, that mm-hmm. is, even at the time, the one positive thing critics were talking about was the special effects within this movie.
3: Well, that kind of transitions nicely to this uh, quote that I have from mm-hmm. John Carpenter from a 1985 interview. Great. Like, someone asked him, why do you think the thing failed like it didn't completely no, flop at it the no it office, wasn't a huge but, flop
0: but yeah. but it
3: was the start of his decline mm-hmm. um and he said that the thing was just too strong for that time i knew it was going to be strong but i didn't think it would be too strong i didn't take the public's taste into consideration uh because yeah the special effects even today are pretty a lot. great yeah <laughs> pretty great but they are a lot like they scared dave yeah
0: yeah, yeah it really is that first that dog moment is like, oh my god, like, is just falls right off, like
1: right? Oh wow! Yeah, the one that still gets yeah.
0: the one that still gets me is the the blood checks, yeah, which is then so great because you think it's gonna go to the last one and nope, it's right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Done really well.
3: I also really like the sound that the mm-hmm. thing makes, like. The, when Bennings first runs out and he's in the snow and he just turns to the camera Squeal. and goes like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. like these like otherworldly sounds. Um, And I love when the belly opens up and eats oh, the doctor's arms. Yeah. I can't help but laugh whenever that it's happens. It's a little
1: Sam Raimi moment almost Yeah, Yeah, yeah this <laughs> mouth appears.
3: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, the fact that it is all practical
0: effects is just a the chain, which yeah. is makes me appreciate it more. I, I'm not the person... He's like, all CGI is bad. I don't have that opinion. But fast, cheap special effects always frustrate me because like 40 years ago, they made this yeah. and they made it look so good. So you don't have an excuse, I don't think.
1: We rewatched The the Matrix the mm-hmm. first season we mm. did this. And, you know, there's seams, of course, it's 1999, but it looks mm-hmm. great because of the way they incorporate the idea of CGI into the film.
3: Yeah, they blend it really well.
1: Yeah. And it's meant like they, it's so smart because they're like, it is in a computer. So you you are already ready to suspend mm-hmm. your disbelief. The only thing about uh, the character design, I suppose, in the 80s sense, Big Trouble is the same way, it looks so good because it's it is real. Like, mm-hmm. there's an actual object in the frame. But, you know, the monster designs have changed a lot sure. and they've become so much more gruesome. Like, if you look at even kids' video games and things are just exponentially grosser you know there's more tentacles and there's just more slime and do you think this movie has a,
0: has a facet in that is that people are just trying to overtake it well it's just it reflects the I, think. Thing. The thing, right? yeah. I think it's a thing right yeah it ref- is a whole different it thing. is a different movie yeah
1: it reflects uh, capitalism yeah <laughs> 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 Uh, well, in the one sense, as a dumb thing as that is to say, uh, the one-upsmanship is definitely a problem mm-hmm. in culture in general. So he got a, he got this thing out in 82. I mean, alien, you could argue, really sets the bar for practical. I mean, you get H.R. Giger to come out and make a fucking drooling, sweating alien. Penis monster, yeah. Yeah. So Helen went to, is it Belgium that he was in? And she went to meet him. She's met oh, Giger. Really? Yeah, she's got a oh, photo wow. with him. So she brought home uh, two signed posters, right?
3: Oh, I thought you were going to say two signed alien heads. Well... I was like, damn, she got this, that through customs. The
1: posters, so they're fucking huge. We used to hang them up, but we realized we had to take them down when Emerson was born because like, one of them was decapitated baby heads and like fucking <laughs> shit. And you're just... When you get him and you're young, you're like, "Oh, this is so cool! It's so weird and visceral, and it's just it's we'll like a living in the nursery this way." Yeah, yeah. and then we're we gonna have a kid, and you're like staring at the switch. You're like, "This is inappropriate. There's nothing about this that we can ever show anybody." We have them because they're signed, so that it's just cool. But they will never go on a wall until you know he becomes gothy, watches sure. alien and he's like, "This is the best fucking movie ever made." Like, Gu- like, guess really? what? Your mother met the designer. <laughs> and blow the dust off this tube, and like, check this shit out. He's like, "Oh, I love." Decapitated baby heads, man. Great. Anyways, um, and yeah, I think there's a problem with that. CGI is a problem. Marvel movies a problem. Whatever. Everything's a problem because everything is not about the story anymore. It's about can we add more visceral gore? So, why I, I think I hate horror movies in the '80s because mm-hmm. that became like a race to show how many more ways we could decapitate or disembowel or do something disgusting to a human being, as opposed to having a discussion about uh, paranoia. You know, yeah. we don't have that talk about
3: the machine had you guys watch movies from the year that was like after the production code
1: 71
0: Uh, 71 yeah yeah. Yeah.
3: how did you feel about the way things were more and more and more there because people Uh, were like oh we don't have a code anymore it was was
1: challenging we found it more challenging
0: than me i will say well
1: we found it interesting because what made it more challenging is the popular movies were quite aggressive Mm -hmm. so um it was surprising to see something that was like build top 10 grossing film whatever you know it's a little arbitrary the idea of gross but people went to go watch this in a theater and I remember some of them were quite violent and cruel and Mm -hmm. dealing with very uh, sensitive and brutal subject matter but I think the 71, because it's not just the haze Coast that disappears, it's like a lot of thoughtful filmmaking, whether we appreciate it or not. So the artists are like, I don't just want to make something that's pornographic. Like, we also got to talk about civil rights. We got to talk about women that are being, you know, this, we got to talk about Vietnam. And so they were all very high-minded at the same time, whether, mm-hmm. again, the project worked or not. So it was kind of a weird, 71 was quite a, a good gut check for movie nerdness. Um, I'm sure it's like 60, uh sorry, 70 and 69 would have been the same, but '71 was interesting for us because taken it back it, a couple of times. It only times. lasted like
0: four yeah. or five years before things started to like yeah, <laughs> we come got back this, to the studio system. Yeah. So.
2: Mm-hmm. I think you're all a bunch of snowflakes.
0: Let's do some backstory here then. This movie opens up on June 25th, 1982. Currently, it is rated 4.3 on Letterboxd, which makes it the 59th film on their top 250 list. It's rated 8.2 on IMDb, which makes it the number 155th film on their top 250 list. However, Metacritic, because I think Metacritic only takes it from the time, is at 57. And the Rotten Tomatoes, 72 critics give it an 83%, and 100,000 plus users give it a 92%. It's available on DVD and Blu-ray, currently available to purchase or rent on iTunes or YouTube, and it does stream here in Canada on Stars. So if you have stars, Fucking stars again, eh? Its budget was fifteen million dollars. It would make nineteen point six, so sixteen million dollars if adjusted for inflation. So again, not like a bomb, but it didn't make money either when you take in like marketing costs and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Its plot description is: a research team in Antarctica is hunted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of its victims. But now it's time for everybody's favorite game called Guess, Zach, Tag. 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 Of course, when I don my favorite blazer, I get my long microphone that Bob Barker used to wear, or used to use, uh, wow. and we play this game. Sarah, uh, so you'll know if you go to the movie theater, you'll go in, there's this row of posters. Maybe you're going to go and see Black Adam. I don't know what's coming out this week. <laughs> We're seeing Black Adam sure. with The Rock.
1: The tagline's like, The Rock. Yeah, The Rock
0: is here. Um,
3: <laughs> Can you smell what he's cooking? <laughs> he's <laughs> <when> he's cooking. <laughs> is
0: this is still relevant. Anyways, there's a he little, won't let it die. There's a phrase that happened that is written on the poster. It's there to entice you to go and see the movie. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you three options. One of these is the actual tagline that appeared on the poster for the thing in 1982. The other two are completely made up by me.
1: I'm watching her expression, and I feel like she already knows.
0: I'm going to guess she probably <laughs> does. But was it? And I'll get Dave to guess as well. But Sarah, do you think it was? man is the warmest place to hide is it don't worry about a thing or is it it can look like anything or anyone
1: wait
3: what was the first one
0: uh man is the warmest place to hide
3: kyle wrote that when he was feeling particularly sad yes <laughs> <laughs>
0: single tear man tier. to
3: hide in <laughs>
0: <laughs> um I mean I did I did have grinder for a while so I, was I did say, do that a few yeah. times We yeah.
1: want to do some readings
0: <sighs> Sarah what do you think is the actual tagline I
3: think the number 3 please
0: It can look like anything or anyone Yes uh, Dave what do you think
1: Yeah I think that's right too
0: You're oh. both incorrect Oh please two?
3: tell me it's man It is Oh my man god is the
0: warmest place to really? hide is the actual <laughs> tagline
1: that's actually on the poster? Well,
0: actually oh on the poster. Oh my
3: god. It's so stupid. I mean, who stupid?
0: wouldn't want from, from, right? from what I read, I think they changed the tagline after a few weeks, but that is what it originally was. That's so
1: horrible. I mean, it's not even about what it implies. It's just poorly written?
0: It stars Kurt Russell as McCready, Keith David as Childs, Wilford Brimley as Dr. Blair, Richard Masseur as Clark, and David Lennon as Palmer, and a bunch of other people.
1: The only thing I found about Kurt Russell, which I think is really weird, is, uh, did you know Kurt Russell's childhood acting thing going to Disney was Walt Disney's last wish.
0: Yes. yes, yes. He, so we, I, I, I did know this. is fucking program. weird? Yeah. Walt Disney <laughs> said he was going to be the biggest star on yeah. his like deathbed. Apparently, yeah, Like yeah. wrote
1: it on a piece of paper or whispered to somebody. He yeah. just said Kurt Russell. If
0: people don't know, like Kurt Russell has not just been around for a while. He like, he was a Disney kid. Like, yeah. He was a Disney yeah. star and a bunch of stuff. And, and I remember then
3: uh, he quit acting to go play on a, uh, professional
0: baseball baseball team. Or no, something. it wasn't
3: professional. It was like the mini leagues.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Double A right. or something. But yeah,
3: yeah,
1: he was apparently very good.
0: Mm-hmm. and then elvis was his comeback because he's like i don't want to be seen as a kid anymore i'm an adult actor and i want to do adult roles and stuff like that
1: so. yeah i read that too career ending injury although if he had got that injury today he'd probably still be playing baseball mm-hmm. rotator cuff and that's apparently operable now but mm-hmm. yeah
0: this is my big thing i know you don't know who wilford brimley is dave which is bonkers crazy to me but okay you don't know who <laughs> wilford brimley is he is of course the guy who's like starting to shoot things and they like, yeah. put him out in the little shed your best guess: How old is Wilford Brimley in 1982?
1: <laughs> oh. uh, it's probably gonna be like 40, but I'm hoping it's like 65 because he looks pretty old. But uh. mm-hmm.
3: Sarah, do yeah. you want to guess? Uh, I'm with I'm with him there. Yeah,
1: he is
0: 48 years old. That's crazy, yeah. isn't that bonkers? In Cocoon that comes out in 1990, I think he's 55 and he looks 80 yeah, yeah. in that movie. And he's only 50 something in that movie. Anyways, he's he's got that face as like, you've been a middle-aged man since you were born. Yeah, that's
1: the <laughs> 70s, 70s thing we learned. 71 is crazy. I don't know how it's been with classic horror movies, but 1971, everyone looks like they're about to die. And yeah. they all turn out to be like 35 years old.
3: People it don't take care of their wild. bodies. Like yeah. everyone's smoking, everyone's yeah. drinking. It's
1: like wrinkled I mean, gray Dizzy hair. It really is the
0: best example. It's like This is why you don't smoke and drink whiskey all day. No. Because yeah. literally, it's like this 35 year old man looks like he's about to die.
2: Yeah. I'm about to die just listening to this conversation.
0: Cinematography is, of course, by Dean Cundy. Emphasis, of course, on that second oh D day. Oh, God. Because otherwise, Why? it sounds like a T. If you say it too fast, it Nobody sounds like a T. Nobody cares.
1: You just want to always put the emphasis on the D. <laughs>
0: we, t- <laughs> we did talk about that last week. anyways. but uh, yes, he, we talked about him because he also uh, shot Halloween 3. So, you know, for Back to the Future, Who it's Framed beautiful. Roger Rabbit, Apollo 13, Jurassic Park, like every other 80s Smoothie's film. He's gorgeous. Yeah, it looks... Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. Written by Bill Lancaster, based on the story Who Goes There by John W. Campbell Jr., directed by John Carpenter. I think what we need to do very quickly is talk about Who Goes There first, which is the short story Mm -hmm. that this is officially based on. It was this novella published in 1938. John Campbell was writing under his pseudonym, Don A. Stewart, and it first appeared as this short story in the magazine Astounding Science Fiction. Uh, Are you going to
1: reverb it? He should. Maybe we should. Yeah, he should, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: But in 2019, it would also be published as a novel called Frozen Hell, wow. which is also a good name. I like that name. But apparently, they found some old manuscript that had additional chapters and stuff or something. Anyway, so they published it. Campbell, if you don't know, is this pretty influential figure for a few different reasons. Isaac Asimov called him the most powerful force in science fiction ever, period.
1: Is he Beck's dad?
0: Yes. Uh, Campbell was the editor of Astounding Science Fiction, uh, which allowed him to have a lot of sway over who got published in the 30s and 40s specifically. So he helped get the first stories published by people like Robert Heinlein, Arthur C. Clarke, and others. He made this proclamation that science fiction writers should pull themselves up out of the pulp mire and start writing intelligently for adults. So he was that guy who was like... He was a Star Trek fan, not a Star Wars fan, is what I'm trying to say.
1: <laughs> um, There's themes in Star Wars. I don't know why people keep hating on Star Wars. I'm just, Wars. Jo- I'm just yeah. joking, Dave. Daddy issues. Now, he... <laughs> <laughs>
0: also happens on Grinder. actually. Wow. Um, now
1: he, <laughs> emphasis on the D. He <laughs> yeah, forgot the emphasis right, on the right. D. Yeah.
0: He <laughs> would also... Get hugely interested in pseudoscience and would end up supporting segregation and white supremacy. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also collaborated with L. Ron Hubbard in his early years and published the early version of Dianetics. So let's just say a controversial figure. Quasars?
1: (laughs) Quasons? I got the book once. I was hanging out at the Toronto Reference Library.
0: Mm -hmm. And they were joke,
1: No. uh, Well, the Scientology Lab Church is right across. It used to be right across the street from there. We were just hanging out in high school. And then I was like, oh, we should look it up. And it's very weird.
3: Yeah, Campbell and uh, I want to say his first name was Jim Sturgeon. Mm. Whoever, they are both big reasons why not a lot of women and uh, people of color in early science
0: fiction. I, Mm. I went down a rabbit hole and like he straight up would not have... If a female or a person of color was even in the story, sometimes you say, no, we're not going to publish it that. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> something I found super interesting. This is my own little pet theory. Now I have no idea if this helped him write this story at all, but his mother was an identical twin. She had an identical twin and his aunt hated him. So he's written about how strange it was to go to a person who he thought was his mother and be told, like, to get away from herself. So it's this weird thing of, like, this looks <laughs> like someone who I know, but it actually isn't the person who I think it actually is. So I think it might have some trickling effect into this story.
1: Nobody, nobody so, knows what you're talking about anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that's just... That's, no, I
3: follow. It's a reach. Yeah. Very He's reach. saying that the guy had mommy issues. Mm.
1: So you like Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back
0: to the short story, many of the same character names appear as this film does, but there are, like, way more characters in the short a fiction uh to be very specific there is 37 named characters in this oh, short wow. story 12 in the film so the they short really story is not that death. short
1: <laughs> well right? it's a
0: novella so i'm gonna guess it's uh, like 80 some pages S- or something like that still has a few
1: chapters 37 is yeah. a lot of characters well
0: i'll tell you why here in a moment why they had to have so many characters because uh, they die because they all die <laughs>
1: well I mean, yeah, even then it's like we're, in this film what is it 12 and it's still a lot of death it's still a lot. yeah 37 is a big number
0: there's some differences unless in- it's a
1: scientology number <laughs>
0: 37 is, the, is a secret yeah, yeah, number it might be. <laughs> the difference there's a couple differences of course in the short story the thing can only take over as much mass as it currently has mm. meaning that like it can't get smaller uh it can get smaller but then there's a leftover thing blob so that okay. has to go around and grab out other things it's also telepathic so it can actually read minds which doesn't really come up here the other thing is kind of the ending like it goes through the same basic premise that this goes through But at the very end, they go through the blood test. All but three people are revealed to be things. So they mow down like 14 or 15 people, of course, in this one
1: scene. Right, that could be one person. I know,
0: I know. (laughs) But anyways, that's what they do. They go and find Blair, the Wilford Brimley character in the shed, who's been a thing this entire time. They blowtorch him, discover that he's been making this nuclear-powered aircraft to get to the rest of the world. That's how the story ends
1: but if the thing can only take up its own mass then it can't take over the world um
3: it procreates oh yes. it can have
1: sex with itself correct okay. and then oh, yeah. got it yeah it's whole sexual yeah, well it's important if you're gonna take over mm-hmm. the world yeah because you're not gonna find another thing on the planet to have sex with except on grinder perhaps yeah, tell right? me more
0: about sex Dave. no uh how does that work <laughs> so
1: with the thing, it would be so gross. (laughs) It would be so gross. I
3: imagine it's like two amoebas coming together.
0: All those tactical things. Uh,
3: I'm so horny right now.
1: The story's popular, of
0: course, um, inspires a bunch of things. So in 1951, of course, this movie, The Thing from Another World, is made We've talked about that although i will say that it also borrows i would say stuff i'm like well i don't know if it would have been boring i don't know the order of movies it's very um body snatchers like where it's like pods that they're putting people into and body snatchers 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 is five years later yeah okay so it doesn't it's not boring but that is
1: connected to this novella too isn't it body snatchers
3: No, that's a. It is adapting from a a novel or a story, but. um, Not this one. Not this one.
0: I think they're all just referencing things from each other, like small bits here and there. It's one of those things. Culture kind of takes from itself all the time.
3: Well, especially when you have this group of authors who Mm. are like, you know, great authors, but like they're all kind of like one club. Mm. Yeah. They kind of borrow from each other.
1: The actor's studio. The
0: 51 movie. Has a bit of a mixed reaction on on its release, um, at least from critics. Most of them thought that it wasn't thrilling enough, or that it did a disservice to the source material, or even that it was this just run of a mill B movie. Although, oh, and Isaac Asimov absolutely hated it. <laughs> he thought it was like the worst adaptation he'd ever seen. Did do well at the box office, though. And one person who fell in love with that was, of course, John Carpenter. Basically, he lists this as one of his favorite films. He's also a big Howard Hawks fan, as we said. Howard Hawks is is rumored to have actually directed the movie, even though he's not officially credited as directing the movie. Uh, In 51, the 51 movie I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Regardless, we won't get into that because that's a whole can of worms (laughs) and messy, but... We've talked about how Carpenter is kind of early in his career. This had been kicking around since the mid-70s, like doing a remake of this movie. It was Alien that made them kind of jumpstart it, though, to get back into production because it was so popular. Originally, it was supposed to be Toby Hooper, who was going to be the director. director of the Chainsaw Massacre, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Producers did not like his take on the material, so... They kind of shop it around again. Carpenter becomes interested. They get Bill Lancaster to come in and write a treatment. Because apparently they really liked The Bad News Bears, which was his previous film to this, which I so think Walter is Mathau? absolutely hilarious.
1: <laughs> What's a Walter Matthau movie.
0: Yeah, it was Walter Matthau, your favorite actor of all time.
1: <laughs> How was he ever famous?
3: <laughs> You're kidding me, yeah, right? He
1: hates him. He hates him so
0: oh much. Oh my but...
3: God. But he's just like you, a grumpy old man. I know.
1: Everybody talks about the one movie made when he was dying. So? <laughs> <laughs> we watched a movie or two actually, where he's supposed to be funny, and uh,
0: I think he's funny. This is this is our big argument. Um, <laughs> uh, Lancaster writes a, a treatment of it. Carpenter and him go off and fine tune it. The biggest change is that in the Lancaster original version is that Macready and Childs would literally turn into things at the very end, so it was very obvious like they were both a oh, thing. It's at pretty heavy headed
3: Yeah, that
1: would have been terrible.
0: I agree. I think it's better either to leave it not said or. I always mispronounce his name. Ennio Morricone? Am I saying that?
3: Ennio Morricone.
0: Morricone. Was asked by Carpenter himself to score this because Carpenter wanted a European feel to the movie. <laughs> this is what Morricone did. Without watching the movie, he'd never watched a single frame of this movie and sent him in, here's 20 minutes of score, put it wherever you want and loop it however you want to. Carpenter's like... It doesn't really work to do it that way. It just doesn't work in certain scenes. So he goes into the studio, synths it up like he likes to do, and puts kind of like these tones and stuff through all the movie. And then the orchestral stuff, yes, is all Morricone. Like, all that is Morricone. Most of the synth stuff is John Carpenter. But weirdly, Morricone does kind of nail the John Carpenter sound, but in, like, a, mm-hmm. you know, an orchestral strings.
1: form. Yeah. Well, Morricone can write a score. Yeah, it's actually kind of good that this music
3: thing. <laughs> he should enough. pursue it. Yeah, and I mean, he usually works that way of producing the score before the movie is actually shot because mm-hmm. that's how Sergio Leone yes. uh, films is with that music already playing.
0: Anyways, good soundtrack. Yes, <laughs> uh, a good chunk of the budget went to the creature effects, which were designed by twenty-one-year-old. Rob Botton. So he was pretty young in his career. Which is a side note, he did need to be hospitalized at the end of this because he worked himself so hard that he had like double pneumonia, exhaustion, and like all these other things. And like John Carpenter's like, uh, go to the hospital. Kill, like bro. you don't need yeah. to be working this hard. He of course worked hand in hand with Dean Cundy to make sure that they were photographed properly. They actually did test to make sure that the things could be seen, but not like too much light, so that you could see how like plastic they were. So they had to really work together. Now, here's the thing that happens. This, is, of course, is 1982. And we've talked about this movie already, Dave. This is the summer of E.T.
1: Mm-hmm. We're
0: here with the happy little alien who has such an uplifting message. You know what people don't want to go and see? A nihilistic movie about aliens who overtake people's bodies in grotesque ways. I mean, just really, we're not just in the mood for this. They were not coming en masse to see this. But I think critics also really laid into this movie as well. This was not just reviewed poorly. It was... Loath when it came out. So one critic called it instant junk. Another a wretched excess. Others said it was devoid of warmth and humanity. Like critics really went after this movie.
1: It Was in Antarctica, right? Yeah,
0: yeah.
3: Well, I, I would agree that it is devoid of warmth and humanity.
0: <laughs> I always like this, like because I always want to re- re- this. Like, well, yeah.
3: <laughs> I also
0: watched the movie. I know that it's not. <laughs> A happy-go-lucky movie. But they really went after this movie. Although I, they would say the, the one positive thing most critics would say is that the special effects were great. And that's how this movie was remembered for like a, a decade plus. It was like, bad movie, good special effects. That was, you can even go back to old, early 90s, like fan magazines. Like mm. That's how this movie is re- referenced is like, bad movie, good special effects. The Razzies would even nominate it for worst musical score in 1982. Ugh, so, what did they know? Yeah, what a dumb organization.
1: Um, Catwoman was amazing. Meow.
0: So I will also point out that even if it wasn't E.T. specifically, although it mostly was because it was like number one for 17 weeks or something wild in 1982, you had Tron, Wrath of Khan, Conan and Blade Runner all released at the same time. So it's like you had multiple options if you were a science fiction fantasy fan. Blade Runner bomb too. People were too. just oh, like oh, yeah. going. Actually, this and Blade Runner were released on the same day.
1: <laughs> yeah. like, you know?
3: That's funny because I also think of like. Harrison Ford and Kurt Russell is like two sides of the same coin. True.
1: Yeah, yeah. They should do a movie together. Executive Decision? No. Those are two different plane movies. Shit. Was don't Air don't Force know. One yeah. and Executive Decision. Yeah. yeah. They would do well they together. They
0: can do it. They can do one more movie together. Grumpy Old Man Reboot right there. <laughs> Bam.
3: I'd watch
1: it. I'd yeah. watch it. They, they both uh, are more humorous than uh, Walter <laughs> Matthau.
3: Get out of here. <laughs>
0: so it was dismissed. The critical savaging, of course, made people stay away. And many of the people who did see it just weren't enthusiastic about it. Where it started to change was home video. Mm-hmm. So the thing would become huge on home video. And especially when it was shown on television. Although John Carpenter's kind of like dismissed that because uh, I forget how it was. Must have been it, edited. Well, it was edited, but then it, there was new scenes added into it. Oh. Yeah, no, someone by who had brought
3: him. in to like consult on the script at some yeah. point or something uh, was also brought in to like make the movie a bit more okay for television. Palatable? and oh. Yeah. So anyways, wild. John
0: Carpenter hates that version. Although apparently it's available on one of the Blu-ray releases. You can watch the TV cut of the movie. <laughs> you know it uh,
1: sucks? I learned that Aliens doesn't have the uh, machine gun scene on Disney Plus.
3: This is why it's bad for one company to I own everything. everything.
1: Yeah, It's too late. I already gave them my soul. So
3: it's fine. Yeah. i that. Okay explains with that explains so much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so
0: now it's slowly gained accolades throughout the years. Considered one of the best movies of 1982. One of the best horror films and just one of the best films of all time. However, I will say immediately Carpenter was fired from directing his next movie because of the performance of this one, which was he was supposed to direct Firestarter with uh, Drew Barrymore.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Who who knows if he would have actually made that movie good.
3: It would have been interesting at the very it would have least.
0: Been, yes, it would have been visually interesting. We can say that for sure. There has been comic books made to continue the story, a video game that came out, a prequel that came out in 2011, and in 2020 it was announced that Blumhouse was going to make a remake Although following more closely to *Frozen Hell*, the novel that was released in 2019,
3: I think they would have to do something different because the thing at 1982 is so iconic. Like, there's no way that if you just tried to make a straight remake, that people would Disney that it would do resonate it. at all.
1: Disney so, will do it. Well, they but, don't give a shit anymore. I, yeah. They
0: probably don't give a shit. But uh, that's a story I read about that. 2011 prequel is that they actually did do all practical special effects and then the studio made them paint over it with cgi that's what i heard so like i think that,
1: i read that somewhere too unless yeah. it was just a text from kyle
0: Beck. i don't know anyways that's uh that's what, <laughs> Just a
3: late night text did you, you like, hear did
0: you hear about this <laughs> the thing the 2011 <laughs> thing not the 1982 thing this Where is why i get c- come up refutation. with it i kind of hope i have no sway of course in hollywood that they do that thing was like, it's a remake in quotes, but it really is kind of taking its own trajectory. Really, you can remake the thing. It's like, you just need some people that are uh, like secluded somewhere and a thing is running through them. Yeah, it sure. doesn't have to be exactly beat by beat this movie over again.
3: Ari there's John Carpenter's The Thing. Right,
0: right, right.
1: <laughs> it's weird because, you know, you think about this film and what they can do to revitalize it. And there's not a lot that you can add to its visual uh, mm-hmm. authenticity, sure. the story. You couldn't make it better? I, I could animate see. An That's alien the thing. that looks when different. When you do
3: a remake, you should be doing something different.
1: Trying to fix a problem that you think yes. with the original. But mm-hmm. this one's a tough one. You know, you reshoot the ending, so it's not so obscure. I don't know. It's, yeah. The film itself works really well. So
0: I think maybe the only thing I could do, it, I guess it makes it a different movie. I was going to say, instead of it just being a group of, Randos that have been put together, you could do it's like this is a group, this is a family, and then it makes it even tougher to shoot your own mother in the face or your own child or something like that. Like, how that's much of
3: that though is taken up over story. by the zombie genre? That's
0: yeah. fair enough, yeah, yeah.
1: Or I was just thinking, um, Sunshine, or um, right. and there's been a lot of these apocalypse, not uh,
3: yeah, that's a horror movie, isn't it? Sunshine,
0: well, it's yeah, it becomes a horror movie, yeah, yeah eventually, yeah.
3: <laughs> or if you want a movie from the 50s, that. Is that a beast with a million eyes would probably be closest.
0: Yes, that's right. Yes.
3: Set it in the Arctic.
0: Yeah, we'll go back to the Arctic.
3: Because of Alaska,
0: Iceland. They're on Iceland, and they have to defeat
1: Bjork.
3: <laughs> actually, <laughs> and yeah. she's wearing the swan outfit. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone could, uh, if anyone
1: could embody alien, it would probably be Bjork.
0: <laughs> be Bjork. That was a huge. She did her own vocalizations. Actually, that would be the oh new. Oh my
3: god! And soundtrack by Kate Bush. Yes. <laughs> Just let Bjork do the soundtrack. She's great.
0: I do think it's the paranoia thing. I think mm-hmm. we can all understand at a visceral level what it feels like. It's like, I don't know who I can trust around me here. Mm-hmm. Um, whether we want to put that that covert reading on it or in some other part of your life. I feel like there is that, de- that, uh, I feel like that there's feeling.
1: Always, I don't know. Isn't there a danger with movie nerds of projecting too much of this out onto the outer world? I mean, it drives the tension in a film to watch. Characters be paranoid with each other. But then this idea I mean, this is where we get that little trap. Like Fight Club, we talked about how, you know, white supremacist and the insult groups are going to watch that movie and think Tyler Durden is a god. Right. Or we're going to watch that movie. not and be like, the point it's, of that movie. Yeah, it's yeah. ironic. He's supposed to be a villain. He's an embodiment of everything wrong with what you guys are talking about. So if we look at a movie like The Thing, we take it to, I don't know, are we pushing it too much to like reflect too much about how society interconnects with each other? I, I don't I know. Think art
0: can be read differently through the ages right your your own life yeah. experience is going to dictate how you respond to to something so yeah. i think it's and, reasonable to look at it this way now
3: and someone reading fight club as tyler durden being the greatest guy ever is reading the film incorrectly
1: yeah i think so especially as we rewatch it it's it's pretty straightforward right right
3: <laughs> you know they're all suffering mm-hmm. but now fight but, club is a movie i watched way too young right. uh, it holds
1: yeah. up really well too 99 was
0: pretty good one little shout out here too. We've already talked about Adrian Barbeau here yep. this year because she shows she's up in She's still Swamp married Thing. to John Carpenter. Uh, she's married to John Carpenter at this time, I believe. Uh, anyway, she's the voice of the computer. Yeah, oh, in interesting. Movie, so oh, I
1: not know that. Yeah. She's great. She made something watchable. I know. So yeah, that's she's great. high praise.
3: Very high praise. We're done here.
0: The machine has told us that we do have to wrap things up, so we should first go to Critics' Choice. This is when we learn about what some of the critics thought at the time this movie was released. So Roger Ebert was not a big fan. Of this movie gave it to
3: Roger. No, I will, I
0: will say he did not hate on this as much as some of his contemporaries. Okay. He gave this two and a half stars out of four.
3: Oh, that's that's over 50 percent. You know, C's get degrees. I'm OK with that. That's Roger. Right. Oh. So
0: the thing is basically just a geek show, a gross out movie in which teenagers can dare one another to watch the screen. There's nothing wrong with that, I like being scared, and I was scared by many scenes in The Thing. But it seems clear that Carpenter made his choice early on to concentrate on the special effects and the technology, and to show the story and people to become secondary. Because this material has been done before and better, especially in the original The Thing, and in Alien, there's no need to see this version unless you are interested in what The Thing might look like while starting from anonymous greasy organs exuding giant crab legs and transmuting itself into a dog. Amazingly, I'll bet that thousands, if not millions of moviegoers are interested in seeing just that. So On the money. Yeah, God, right. I
3: love Roger Ebert.
0: You'll be shocked by this, Dave. Pauline Kael did not review what? this movie.
3: I
1: just, she has to be pretty much retired at this point. She has not been...
0: She, I, there's a bunch of movies that we've talked about that she's re- reviewed here in I 1982.
1: If we do a count, it's like five. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> it's not very many. You've been I will pulling say that. on Letterboxd sure. a lot.
0: But, uh, so I went to Letterboxd and I got Brat.
1: Ooh, One of the big stars like B-R-A-T? on. BR80. BR80, yeah. Or 8T. Oh, this is a hacker. short and
0: sweet review, a very short and sweet review. She gave it four and a half stars. If I walked into a theater in 1982 and they played this shit, I would send John Carpenter a thank you card and my therapy bill. <laughs> uh, 1,200 people liked that review. We have to ask this question that we ask every week Does this hold up? And is it still culturally relevant? What do you say, Sarah?
3: Yes. And. We, we've we kind of hit on this point about how it's culturally relevant in like the 80s, even up to now for different reasons. And I think that's a sign of a really good movie.
1: Dave? Yeah, I'm going to go yes and yes. It was, uh, it's a beautiful to watch, even though it's disgusting and scary. And uh, we just spent almost two hours yeah. talking about it thematically as well as uh, it has, well, actually less than of its story because the story's kind of It's pretty, become, yeah, it's not it's that hard. Forward. It's yeah. like
0: they're being attacked by a thing. That's what the and story they gotta is. they got to figure out how
1: to burn it to death. hmm Oh, we forgot to talk about how cool it is to just walk around and have a flamethrower. I know, just lying i around. a
0: flamethrower. <laughs> I'd be so... OSHA violation <laughs> of <out> the <wasu> lawsuit <laughs> with my father. Well, I'm
1: pretty sure, I don't know, I, I swear I read this that they're just like pretty much decommissioned because they're so fucking dangerous. There I don't even know soldiers yeah. can use them anymore. No, they because, can't. Yeah. But I mean, my
0: yeah. dad, like, this is the difference between a flamethrower and a blowtorch because a blowtorch you can have, of yeah, course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's yeah. a more concentrated flame than like I'm throwing gasoline and fire out from this projectile. Like you kill yourself half the time. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm a yes and yes too. I, can't, I honestly think that this film, like I said, gets better every time that I watch it. I think it's It's great. I think it's acted well. The paranoia ratchets it up. You can read it in many different ways. So I don't see what there's not to like. I'm a big John Carpenter stan though. So Uh, anyways, we do need to rate this film. But before we do, that's what Dave and I thought. What do you think? We can you can send any feedback you'd like to Kyle and Dave VS the Machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle at KDVS at KDVSTM. We do release videos on YouTube too, so that's what Dave does in his spare time. is making videos and yeah. uploads them. If you want to see the entire list of films that we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page. That's letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM if you'd like to help support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the next apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There is a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month. And something you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. So let's get to the rating of this movie. Sarah, I know your official rating may be not counting into the total, but if you were asked, out of five, what would you give The Thing?
3: Uh, five.
0: Five out of five. Stone Cold Classic. Dave?
1: I'm still debating what what are you gonna go? What are you gonna go? You always make I'm me go first. I'm a weenie
0: about this. I don't yeah. know what it is. It, I, 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 it's really a gut check for me of like, what I give a five versus a four point five? And it's a four point five for me. I don't know why I can't commit to the full five for this movie.
1: Yeah, I think I'm gonna. But be I the love same. it. It's a great movie. Yeah, I'd I think recommend I'm gonna to be anyone. the same. I, I think it's already shocking to me that I'm gonna put a quote unquote horror. I don't know if this is a. I mean, it's a horror movie. It's disgusting, but I'm gonna give a four point uh, five. I think this, you
0: might like horror films, Dave. This yeah, is what this pushes like it really
1: high for me. But yeah, four and a half.
0: Well, who am Dave, I?
1: This podcast is ruining me. What do you, Jean Valjean Good. over there. Who am I? Jesus. <laughs> <Listen, laughs> that's an amazing musical.
0: It is. but yeah. uh, Okay. <laughs> so we are going to go through this list. There are a few other films that it ties with. Uh, three to be exact. So going from bottom to top of 1982, First Blood, King of Comedy, Star Trek II. Where would you put
1: it into that list?
3: Ooh. Oh, man. Oh. That's a tough one.
1: Hold on a second.
3: About to throw we hands. We put First
1: Blood underneath King of Comedy? Yes. I have a half a mind to put it at the bottom only mm. because it's I think it's better than King of Comedy, but I like First Blood a lot.
0: Yeah, but this is what I th- I'm tough. thinking. I look at I have to look at this at the whole thing. Obviously your enjo- your personal enjoyment is gonna be different. But if I'm looking at this as like technical and re- writing and stuff it's like that, I think good. it's better than First Blood, yeah. even just on the technical level.
1: Yeah.
2: Technically nobody cares. King of Comedy
0: I like a lot, but I do think I like this movie just slightly better yeah, right. than it.
1: You've and then put Con it, then, then on it the comes t- up
0: with a toss up, like, do I put this above
1: know, Star Trek two, Con so or good. not?
0: I think Con might be more rewatchable.
1: I would, I don't know. I would watch Star Trek two right now. Mm-hmm. I probably watch the thing right now too, but I don't know. It's, it's also not- more generally palatable. Like, I could technically watch that with my family. I think right now, yeah. so the thing is never going to be on in my house again.
0: Well, until you're. Son becomes emo and watches Geiger posters from his bedroom. <laughs> just, just the posters. Just the posters. So yeah. No, it's, I've no, arrived. No, it's the moving pictures? Picture. <laughs>
1: Listen, <laughs> you have offended every photographer.
0: Yeah. So what do you think? Do we put it below con or above
1: con? Oh, shit. I'm going to lean to below, okay. but I'll we'll give do you that. the executive decision. No, we'll do you that. can Kurt Russell it.
0: Entering our list at the new number four position here in 1982 is going to be the thing. Right below Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan, right above the King of Comedy.
1: Oh, what's one and two again? Uh E.T. E.
0: Das Boot. Those are das the, boot. Not that my of...
3: opinion matters with this ranking, but I concur with your mm-hmm. your position here. Nice, yeah.
1: yes. Right? Uh, we're not yeah. we're not that dumb. Well people hate us, but it's So fine. we
0: should probably see what we're <laughs> watching for our Halloween episode here Ooh. next week, Dave. So I'll just push this button here. Ooh, another we talked about um the previous 1951 movie that uh, this movie was based on, but how it was sometimes shadow-directed possibly by Howard Hawks. We're going to watch a movie that was possibly shadow-directed by Steven Spielberg, uh, Poltergeist. We're going to oh, watch Poltergeist
3: nice.
1: next week. Great. Yes. Also, you make me watch Bay of Blood. Bay of
0: Blood for our bonus episode. <laughs>
3: They're here. <laughs> I can't wait till uh,
1: November
0: Don't arrives. Don't you know, let win the, the uh, Guess That Tag game for next week.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Don't forget it. Don't worry. I absolutely In will. one ear, yeah. out the other.
1: That's, yeah. that's the best way to live, actually. It's like a spiritual mantra.
0: <laughs> Dave, are you putting your, your underwear in the garbage again? What are you doing? Oh,
1: we're doing plot again. Uh, yes. I mean, they are pretty ripe. ripe oh, did ripe? you
3: check that they're shredded? Because yeah. that means... Oh my God! He's a thing. Oh my God! Actually,
1: I just have a stomachache.
3: <laughs> oh my
2: God! Meow. <laughs> 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 <laughs>